I'm Dr. Garcia. I'm assistant Bible, assistant professor of Bible here. I'm subbing in for Dr. Hammond, uh, who couldn't be here this evening. Um, and I'm always, uh, whenever I come to chapel, whenever I get the chance to come to chapel, I'm always reminded of how wonderful it is to have some time during the day to just stop, worship the Lord, and hear his word. Uh, it is a huge blessing uh, that you will find in few places. Uh, before I invite Dr. Emmanuel, our speaker, uh, to bring the word, I want to invite uh, the director of GSL, uh, Scott Rates, uh, to talk to us a little bit about global service learning, global services learning trips. Hello, everybody. I just wanted to make a quick announcement um, to tell you all of our trips came back uh, safe. They had incredible experiences this January. Um, have had great reports, um, and so we've seen beautiful pictures and heard wonderful stories. Uh, we still have a couple trips that are about to go out. So, uh, but first, if, if you know of anybody who is in the Philippines over break, or Italy, or uh, Guatemala, um, make sure or talk to them, find out a little bit about their trip, what they experienced. We're still taking applications for our summer trips. So our archaeology trip to El Araj with Dr. Notley is, uh, is this summer. Go to our website and learn about that. Um, we also have a uh, a Footsteps of Paul, which is about his second missionary journey going to Greece. That's in May. And we also have a, a trip to Taiwan and Thailand uh, for a chamber fest for musicians. So uh, these are all amazing trips. I just encourage you to go look at the website. Uh, it's nyac.edu slash gsl. And uh, I am interacting with faculty right now for proposals for next year. So if you're feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm interested in these trips, but I can't make it happen this summer, you're going to hear about a whole new uh, 2021 courses that are going to be offered. And uh, it's pretty exciting what we're going to be doing. So just, uh, I I'm on the 18th floor, so come look for me if you have questions about it. But just go to nyac.edu slash gsl for any information. And for my contact, we'd love to have you travel with us. Thank you. Okay, now that I had Dr. Wrights here, I'll just mention that uh, I'm the professor of record for the Israel trip. So look out for, uh, uh, for our dates and flyers coming in 2020, just in case you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Okay? No, no, uh, no forcing that direction. Okay, without further ado, I want to uh, welcome our esteemed professor of, Hebrew, of Old Testament and Hebrew language, uh, Dr. David Emanuel. Good evening, church. First things first, things first I need to do just say, um, I had nothing to do with the song selection. <laughs> <laughs> at all and I mean that I had no idea but you know the Lord works in mysterious ways right. yeah. my name my name is Dr. Emmanuel and I, I am here I'm also on the 18th floor and I, I teach Jesus Bible some of you call it the Old Testament but it's Jesus Bible, and that's what I teach, and I also teach um, Hebrew language. Some of you um, know uh, know that already, and some of you have experienced some of that 
the joys, the blessings of learning the language in which Jesus taught. Let's not go back there. <laughs> Good. What I wanted to do this evening is I wanted to speak about, um, say, just mention a number of um, thoughts, a number of um, um, insights on a particular passage which has been incredibly formative in why I'm here teaching at Nike and why I actually went into the field of biblical studies. And it's just one uh, passage which has, um, it has come up again and again in my life. And I can say for at least 30 years, um, this passage has, has come up in my life. I even, I named my website over it, even over one particular passage here as well. It is just, it kind of like defines who I am and what I really, really care about and what I want you all to really, really care about as well. And that is the, the, the word of God. And this passage is from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verses 12 through to 17. Um, 12 through 17, I'm going to read from the ESV. And these are um, the Apostle Paul's words to encourage um, his um, uh, disciple mentee, Timothy, uh, to encourage him in the work that he was doing as an elder in a church. Let me read. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We don't talk about that in the promises of God, do we? Another sermon. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Such a critical scripture, and I think it's one that many of you already know, at least I hope that you actually know, some of you may have memorized it. And let me just open by saying, by saying this, many people do recall that scripture, they memorize that scripture. Scripture memorization is something I do encourage, uh, that we all do, we all make an effort in doing. But I also need to say this, it's not the end of the road, it's not the end of the line, it's the beginning. So you memorize that scripture, let's move out of the realms of, of the Bible. Beginning of the year... What do we all do? Good New Year's resolutions, right. And 90% of them are all to do with our weight, right? They're mainly to do with our weight. I'm going to lose some weight. So what are we going to do? We're going to lose some weight. And guys always say we're going to get in shape, all right? That's what we're going to do. That's what we do. Beginning of the year, if I pull from the internet, I go out and buy the books, and I find the best program I can I can find to get healthy to get myself in shape I can go away and I can memorize that 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 in about a month I will memorize what I need to do for that particular program and I can recite that every week no I can recite what I need to do with that program daily but you know something at the end of the year I will probably be in as worse shape as ever 
because I haven't put it to use. I haven't applied it. I haven't done what the program says to do. I have merely memorized it. In the same way, we have to look at scripture. Memorizing is great, but only if it helps you do it. Only if it helps you step out. It helps you to put what you have learnt actually into action. So keep that in mind whenever you read this particular scripture or any scripture. It, something needs to follow. There has to be something that goes back and changes your life. That's not even my first point. That was just the introduction. So here's my first point. And it really comes to this. It concerns the background of this particular text. It says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. They will go around evil imposters. It didn't just stop in Paul's day, by the way. I would argue that they are still around today. Going about deceiving individuals and being deceived. This is the context in which it is set. And it, it shouldn't seem strange to us that the next thing he talks about is the value of Scripture. Because unless we know Scripture, we stand to be deceived. Unless we know what is in the text, we don't know when somebody is lying. And so it is, it is critically important that we learn the text if we are to stand against deception. The name for the book that we have, the 66 books of the Bible, we call it the canon. And the word canon, it comes, goes all the way back actually to a Hebrew word. You can't get away from it, you know. You just can't escape it. goes back to a Hebrew word, kaneh, which means read. And it describes something which they, a measured read, which they use for measuring. And also to align something to make sure it's straight, kind of like a ruler today. And they, we use that word canon because it's also something by which we measure our faith. So that if somebody says something, we can bring the canon alongside and we can kind of say, well, yeah, that measures up to my faith, to what is toward what you've said, that measures up. Or we can turn around and we can say, that, that doesn't really fit. But this only works when you know scripture, when you read scripture. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know something? I say, Julian, let's go. You know, let's go. We can go. Let's go to the mosque, you know. Go, sir, just once, you know. It's okay. It doesn't really matter. We can go down there. We can worship God in the mosque. He's the same God after all. But then I know that Julian, if I say that to him, he's going to turn around, he's going to pick up the word, and he's going to say, he's going to say, Dr. Man, I don't know if you're 100% right. And he's going to open up the scripture, he's going to open up to Exodus 23, and he's going to say, you shall have no other gods before me. Now he has something to measure my statement and my invitation with, and he's able to act correctly on it. But that only happens when he knows the word. I had a situation a number of years ago, it must have been about 30 years ago, I was, I was part of a youth group, and we were invited out by another youth group, a larger youth group, big youth group, big, really large in the, in the area where I was. So we go down there, go hang out, find out what's going on. And in the midst of discussions that were going on, a girl, a girl spoke up, and it was, it was getting into a bit of a, a 
you know, obviously we don't have arguments in the church. But we would get into a debate and the girl stands up and she says, she says, yeah, but you know it says in the scripture that God helps those who help themselves. And I was really puzzled because I, I didn't know where to put my confusion. Do I put my confusion on this girl who clearly does not know scripture? Or do I put my confusion on the youth leader who nodded his head? And so I was confused. I was really confused as to what was going on there. But it only takes somebody to know scripture to be able to identify that. If you don't read it and you don't know it, you would not be able to identify that. And there could have been people in that youth group that went away that really thought that that's what it says in scripture, but they will never know unless they read it. We need scripture as a defense against deception. The second thing which, which I pull from this passage, and this could be easily missed, verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. What a text, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Why is this so, so, so poignant? Because if he knew the scriptures from childhood, somebody taught him. Somebody took the time to teach him the scriptures, even from childhood. Somebody knew Deuteronomy 6, 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in their house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down or when you rise. Somebody knew that scripture and taught Timothy as a child. First and foremost, let me say this. It is a parent's responsibility to teach children the word of God. It is a parent's responsibility to teach children the word of God. You cannot send your children to church, to Bible college, and think, ah, they will do it. It is first and foremost the parent's responsibility. Another thing I want to point I want to make is that if he's learning from childhood, it means children can learn. And it means that even young children should be introduced to the word. I'm not suggesting we drag our children through Ezekiel 1 to 3 and the sacred chariot. I'm not suggesting we pull our children through the book of Leviticus to try and make it applicable. Although that's what I did. But I'm not saying you have to do that. But they can know stories. They can know the story of Abraham. They can know the story of Joseph. They can know the story of Samson. They can know the story of Jesus and heals. They can know stories. These are not stories that are beyond them that they cannot understand. We can begin with these things. Help them to become familiar with the word of God from childhood. And then yes, as they grow older, they can develop onto other things. It is all necessary. And even though parents have that first responsibility for teaching, it comes down to all of us to teach as well. You may walk into your church and see a child, but you've got to understand, certainly if we're going to think in the terms of definitely in the Old Testament and the biblical days, 
It is your responsibility also to help raise that child. It's your responsibility to impart knowledge of what the word of God says to that child. They are your responsibility. There isn't a child in your church that does not somehow belong to you or is not connected to you that you can feel no responsibility towards them. Because if that child grows up not knowing the word of God, that is partially your fault for not teaching them. If that child turns up to be somebody who speaks against the word of God, it is your responsibility because where were you when they were growing up in your presence? How much interest did you take in them? We have a corporate responsibility to raise our children in his ways. What else can we learn from this text? It says here, 3.15, it says, The sacred writings which are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Many lose sight of this role of the biblical text. I spend a great deal of time, this is one of my, my major pet projects, it's looking at different versions. Some of you know this and some of you have, have sat through classes with me in this. But we look at different versions of scripture. And there are many different versions, many different translations, English translations. As you know, and many people ask me the question, how can you still believe with all of these differences and all of these variations? Which one is true? Which one is right? So you need to understand something. I don't worship the versions and the differences. I appreciate the message and I'm guided and led by the message which is essentially the same. The basic truth remains the same across the English versions. And there are some differences, but let's not go into that now. The basic truth remains the same in our English versions. I can't justify all English versions um, of the Bible for the details, for the choice of words, for what they're doing in every single place, but the message remains the same. Through reading scripture, it is able to make us wise to salvation. Even the NIV. <laughs> when we read scripture in the English versions, and we read for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, the same message is across every version. When we open up Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The message is still there. It's the same in the English versions. When we read in Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The message is the same. The message is the same. There is always enough, irrespective of the version, to know and to receive salvation through Christ Jesus. All of our English versions do that. Let's not get lost in the details of translations of this word here and this word there. The message remains the same. So going on in this text, another place we read that all scripture is God-breathed. Theonustos, God breathed, comes from the nostrils of God, from the mouth of God. Bit of a weird word here. We don't see it much in the, in the um, New Testament. But outside in uh, the New Testament, in the Sabellian oracles, 
Some of you might know about that later on. But we have a, a, a Greek text written by Jews, um, which was uh, around about the first, second century. We have this exact same word, which uses to describe, is used to describe God when he breathed life into Adam. And it's a word that I love because it seems to imply that when God breathes life into it, that thing becomes a living entity all on its own, as man did. And this is the same thing that God did. He breathed word, he breathed these words out. And to me, it's almost as though scripture is a living entity. Living entity because it speaks both to people a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. It still speaks to people. It is a living entity. It is God breathed. And we have to keep that in our minds even as we read it. We have something incredibly precious. But here's where it gets interesting because when it talks about being God breathed, what's it talking about? It's speaking about all scripture is God breathed. What did that mean for Paul? All scripture is God breathed. What was scripture for Paul? I can promise you that the Old Testament was intended for sure. I can promise you that on the simple fact that it predates Paul. But the New Testament, was the book of Revelation written when Paul said that? Or was the letters of John, were they all written? Were the Gospels all crystallized by the time he said that? Now I'm not saying that he didn't intend that, that the New Testament is not God-breathed. I'm not suggesting that at all. Um, I suppose I'm emphasizing that the Old Testament was God-breathed as well. It was not just God breathed, it's also, it's inspired. It's two-thirds of the scripture, and it was good enough for Jesus. The Old Testament, the, what I teach. And I know, I can, I can understand how it looks. Yeah, I know, he's just promoting these. I know, I know, and I'll wear that, okay? I'll wear that. But this has an implication if all of the Old Testament is God-breathed, if it really is, and I'm not going to ask a show of hands, but why haven't we read it? If it really is inspired, if it really does have this life, then why have we not read it? Why do we take so little time even trying? And it's amazing when the, when the the things that people say, oh, but it's too difficult. My question is this, are you going to become any closer to understanding it by not reading it? Or are you going to gain some ground in understanding a difficult text by reading it? And if you've never read it before, how do you know? All scripture is God-breathed, and we need to treat all scripture like it is a treasure and a gift from a holy God. What else does it say? It says, so all scripture is it's God-breathed, all scripture, and it's useful for teaching. It's useful for learning. Teaching and learning. Learning about 
God and teaching about God. And this is something else. Um, you know, people, and, and I don't know, when you, you're in academia, and I, I have studied so much Old Testament under so many different individuals. I've heard so many different theories, academic theories, about this and about that. And people know that, and I get that question too. How, how can you still believe in God when you know so much about the history of the text and different versions and this theory and that theory? And one of the reasons I continue to believe and I continue to hold on to this text is because it speaks truth. It speaks truth about God. It speaks truth about humanity. And from it I can learn and I can teach others. It speaks truth about humanity in a way which is so profound for me. It speaks of the human condition. I can learn about, you know, I can look around and I have answers to why people do stuff in this world. We have an idea or people have an idea and I get this and, you know, okay, time for confession. Uh, I listen to sports talk radio. Okay, I'm sorry. I listen to sports talk radio and they're forever talking as though we're nearly there. You know, humanity is just 30 years from perfecting itself. And we're going to iron out the kinks. We're going to iron out the bad people, the people with these horrible views. We're going to take them out. We're going to create the utopian society. Just give us a little bit more time. We've been messing about at this for thousands of years. But we're just a few more years away, aren't we? And we're getting better, aren't we? Society's getting better, isn't it? What does God say? The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What does Jeremiah say? The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's what they say. That, to me, speaks about the human condition. We're not getting better. We have no hope of getting better by ourselves. We are getting progressively worse. Society is getting sicker and sicker. Yes, there's new technology, and there are just newfound ways to create evil in this world. That's what scripture tells me. To me, that, that for me, is like a, a, a compass pointing north, because that is where I gauge society. That is what I see. That is the truth. That scripture speaks to me. That is one of the things I learn about humanity from scripture. And that's one of the things I teach to people. When I speak to people. People that may not know the Lord. To give them answers as to what's going on in this world. And what they should be hoping for. Scripture also teaches us about God. It's like a manual for the divine. How many, I'm just talking to the men here, I'm just talking to the men, you guys want to go title nine on me, okay, you do that later, right? How many of you men, married men, wish that you had a manual for your wife? Yeah, nervous laughter all around, I see it. But you women too, same position, how many of you just wish you had a manual for your husband? And if you have children, I bet you would pray. You'd do anything if you had a manual, a book 
that came out. Baby, presenter, manual. You pick it up, you wash it down, you open it up, and it tells you what's going on. It says what happens. When they get 14, they act like this. They act like this, you do that. Yeah. You pay money for that, wouldn't you? You pay a hell of a lot of money for that. I know you would. I know I would. It's a manual that explains it. It helps you just relate to what you're dealing with. You know you can understand the reactions for all things. That's what scripture is. It's like a manual for God, a manual for the divine. What makes him happy? What makes him angry and upset? What makes him sad? How do I hurt him? What happens when I don't agree with him? How do I live with that? How do I pray to him? You know, how do I listen to him? And it's all found within his word. Just like a manual that comes. But only if we read it. There's no sense in knowing that unless we actually read it and put it to use. So let me move on. And for those, and I know you're not counting, but this will be my seventh point. All scripture is also useful for reproof and correction. Scripture files us down when we read it and we let it move into our lives. It files us down the jaggedy edges. It takes them off. But we need to let the word of God pierce into the innermost parts of our lives. We need to let it touch us. We need to let it dictate how we behave. So we need to let it correct our actions and it can be brutal in doing so. And of course it's painful in the process. We need to keep in mind that we wake up in the morning, we're going to have a devotional time, we're going to open up the scripture and we read. And scripture says, Matthew 5.39, do not resist an evil man. You read that text and say, yeah, word of God, I take that. And then you memorize it too. Carry that with you in a day. Now you're really, now you're a real Christian. And you memorize the text and you go and you jump in your car, you get into work. You drive into work and that guy cuts into the space before you. What do you think? You think, I will die before you get in there. <laughs> Don't you? Don't you? That space was never yours. You didn't own it. You don't pay for a car and get the next 10 feet of space ahead of you. It's not yours. But nevertheless, you will die before he gets it. And then the scripture comes to mind, do not resist an evil man. You've got to let it go. And it hurts. Yeah, sure it hurts. Uh, certainly from the beginning it hurts. And you feel, you feel like an idiot. You feel like you've been done over and you've got to live with that. But this is what God wants of you. This is improvement. And it's only by faith you've got to accept that this is the change. It's brutal. And this is something which only is, remains between you and God. No one's watching you for points, but you're doing it because he's there. He told you to do it, and now you have to do that. And it's difficult. And that's how we have to let scripture change our lives. It has to rebuke us. It has to reprove us. It has to make us better, and we have to let it do so. What else do we have? I can see the time moving. I'm going. We have eight. Let's go. It says um, it's used for reproof, correction, and training us in righteousness. And in this place here, I want to put my emphasis on the process. 
training us in righteousness. Long time ago, I played semi-pro. I played semi-pro in England. Couple of years, basketball. And in that period, there was nothing, every day, every day that went by, there, was, there, was, there wasn't a day that went past in which I didn't do something to train. Not a day went past throughout the whole year, 365 days in the year. I was lifting weights, you were doing cardio, you get a chance, I would get some shots up, shoot some shots, I would be watching video, I would be eating well, I'd be looking after my body. Every day, training, dedication, working at it. You do that because you want to be good. You don't do it for a month and then say, I've done it, now I'm trained. It goes on and on and on. An Olympic athlete does the same. Four years away, he's got the event, the event, the big event. He doesn't train for six months and say, done. And then waits another two, three years and then competes. It's a process. It's something that he has to do again and again and again. This is how we have to approach the reading and studying of scripture. It's something that we have to do again. And again and again, we have to read it, we have to study it, we have to wrestle with it, we have to put things aside, we have to come back to it. And don't get confused here to think that it's always going to be easy. Don't think for a second that Olympic athletes don't wake up in the morning, five o'clock, and it's raining outside, and they know they have to get that five miles in. And they wake up and there's the warmth of the mattress. There's the softness of the pillow. There's the quiet, the dryness of the sheets. Do not think that they all, don't think they all get up and joyfully say, yay! No, it takes effort, it takes pain, it takes commitment, it takes dedication. This is the process. It's the same thing. When you commit yourself to wake up in the morning to study the word of God, there'll be days when it's going to be tough. There are going to be days when it's going to be difficult. There are going to be days when you do it over your coffee and you, you wake up and your, your face is in the coffee and you're like, man. And you've got to start again. Those days will come. That's okay. That's to be expected. But it's about training. It's about Doing these things gradually to discipline our bodies, to discipline our minds, to remain focused on his word. And the last thing I just want to say, um, this is point nine. And it's just, just this, that the man of God, man or woman of God, he's talking to Timothy, so he says man, uh, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture has a very important role to equip us in our work, in the work of church and in our daily jobs. There are words of scripture that, that help accountants. There are words of scripture that will encourage um, people in the, in the, the, the cooking industry, in the, in the restaurant business. There are words of scripture that will tell you about who you should be setting up business with and who you shouldn't. Do not be unequally yoked. There are words of scripture that can that equip us for every good work outside the church 
and for inside the church as well. For evangelism, for preaching, for teaching, for intercession, for encouraging, for service to others, for acts of administration. Scripture can also provide us with a guide for that too. But we need to read it. Many times now, and now I know, I can talk, catch people because I know that there are pastoral men people here. Okay? I know that for a fact. You can't hide. Pastoral men, if you have aspirations, you're going you're gonna to set up a church. Okay? Let me just throw this warning out about there. Be careful that you do not chase a corporate model and set up a corporate entity and call it a church. Be very careful that you don't do that. Come to scripture and begin to learn what was going on in the early church before you take on that role. Understand and appreciate what was going on in the early church. Understand and appreciate the message and the words of Paul to individuals like Timothy whose job it was to run a church. Understand what these things are said are done first before you go out and look at this system or look at that system or look at this building i'm gonna be like this guy i'm gonna be like that guy i'm gonna get all kinds of money i'm gonna get no sorry below that um before you go in that direction look and see what paul has written to people who he deliberately put in places to set up churches and begin modeling things there and that actually works for all ministry in the church. What is the scriptural model that I can, uh, I can use so I can best be equipped for my work? And so to close in all of these ramblings that I have been giving you right now, what can I say? Let me just finish just on this one point. Scripture is God-breathed. The 66 books you can have access to is the word of God. It is a living word of God that we need to take seriously. It is a living word of God that we need to move beyond talking about it and saying it's the living word of God. And we need to move to the point where it controls and it shapes and it dictates every aspect of our lives. Amen. Okay, I just want to uh, thank the, thank Dr. Emmanuel um, for um, heeding the call of the Lord to bring the word uh, that he brought and uh, the very, uh, somewhat difficult uh, reminders that he gave us in terms of our own responsibilities as uh, children of the Lord that we need to do in terms of the scriptures that he has given us. Um, before you go on to your various responsibilities, some of you in my class, I hope to see you, um, let us uh, close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for this evening. We thank you that we have a place uh, that you give us a space to worship you, to hear your word in the midst of a busy world and a busy city and a busy life. 
we thank you for giving us this moment and this time to sit back and just worship who you are, who you will be forever, who you are to us. We thank you, O oh Lord, for your word that at times it lifts us up and at times it corrects us. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would not only open our hearts but our minds to your words to learn and pour over your scriptures and to be a vessel of those scriptures for those who don't know you and don't know your word. We thank you, O oh Lord, for this evening. We bless you. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you.